Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. Um, I'm not too familiar with this area where uh, you are, but where we are in, in Druin and in Warrigal, we, uh, we have the local markets, and I found out pretty quickly uh, since moving to the region that the locals love the markets um, when you go there you see the stalls you see the signs you see the prices you see all the products and as you're walking through you would know you normally come in contact with two types of sellers that are at their booths the one kind of seller that you see you walk to their stall and they're sitting well back in their tent and they're sitting on a chair sipping a coffee reading a book and they're not really too concerned who walks past they're, I guess, confident in their products and they're pretty relaxed. They've been there, done that. Then as you keep walking through, there's other sellers that you come in contact with and they're standing right at the front of the store. They're looking eager. They're trying to make eye contact with you and they normally say something like, oh, you, you, your children, they're so beautiful. I love that shirt you're wearing. And what they're doing is they're trying to strike up a conversation with you so that you'll engage, hopefully walk in and scan some of their products. Well, this morning in Isaiah 55, we get a glimpse of God and we see him somewhere where we wouldn't expect. We see him in the marketplace. That's how he's portrayed here in Isaiah 55. But we see him doing something as well that we wouldn't expect him to be doing. He's not one of the, the people who are passing through and passing by to see everything that's going on. No, he's actually portrayed as one of the sellers who has a booth and he has something to sell, and he's calling out to everyone who's passing by. So we get an incredible glimpse of God here. Let's, let's read the passage together before we jump in and pull it apart. Isaiah 55, look at verse 1. It reads, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I make him a witness to the peoples and a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Well, firstly, this morning, our first point, as we consider this text, we see the earnest seller, the earnest seller. Now we have God crying out here. He's portrayed in the marketplace and he's crying out to all the people. Now you would see in, the, in verse 1 how many times the word come appears. Now this, the very first word 
that we have in the text come. It's followed by another three comes. Now, the three comes that follow, that is the Hebrew word there, come. But the first word in the Hebrew is not come. The English translation is trying to capture the flow here. What the word actually is, is very hard to capture in English. But it's simply, oh, or hear, or attention. If, if, the, if the word was a gesture, it would be to grab people by the collar. You there, listen, hear, attention. This is how God introduces himself and his invitation. There is great passion. He's some, he has something to say here. He's not whispering. He's not sitting back in his seat within his stall. He's up front. He's loud. He's got a speaker. He's standing on a box. He wants attention. He has a message for the masses. See, this is God summoning humanity and saying, I want a hearing with my creation. I want a hearing and I want your ears. I want you to listen. I want eye contact. And so this morning as we see God standing up calling out, I have to ask you, you who are here, are you listening? Are you listening? Because he wants a hearing with you, with all of us. He has something to say. God wants a hearing and he opens with these words. And there's an earnestness, there's a heaviness. He's not indifferent. And then this initial word is followed up with three comes. You see it there. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come by, come by wine and milk. Come, come, come. He's not sitting back. See, this is how God is always portrayed in the speakers, in the scriptures. He's always coming forward. The scriptures say, man does not seek after God. He is the great seeker and saviour of the lost. He goes looking. He goes searching. He comes to find and to call. See, today, people, we are guilty of being so careless toward our souls. Think about how little and how indifferent we are to the needs of our souls. We care much about our bodies. I mean, we invest our money in travel insurance in life insurance, in car insurance, home insurance, content insurance, all of these things. And yet, how little attention do we give to our immortal souls? Think about humanity. We cannot stand talking about death. It makes us so uncomfortable. We can talk about the sport, the weather, the grass, and even the paint drying, but do not talk about death. But God... He's not indifferent about our immortal souls. He isn't careless about it. And so he's crying out to this world, to everyone here, come, come, come. Well, that is the earnest seller in the marketplace. Secondly, this morning we see the impoverished people passing through. The impoverished people passing through. Now, he gives us two images of the masses they are portrayed and described as those who are thirsty and they are described as those who have no money. Two images here. Let me ask you the question. Why do we spend our money the way that we do? Why do we start each year with these New Year's resolutions? Why do people jump from relationship to relationship to relationship? 
Why do we pursue and pursue and chase and chase after things? Why do we do all of this? Because our souls are thirsty. They're thirsty. What does he say? Come, everyone who thirsts. Why can we get it never enough? Why the unrelenting pursuit? We're thirsty. See, there was a reason why the Rolling Stones, why that song that they wrote was such a hit, I can't get no satisfaction. And what do the lyrics go on to say? And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. Now, that song was a hit, not just because it had a catchy tune, but we know this. We live that song. We've all been there. We live there. In this relentless pursuit, our souls are hungry and they yearn for fulfillment and there's a gaping hole within each of us. Now I have to ask you, why is there a hole there? How did this gaping hole that is craving and yearning, how did it get there? Well, you just have to turn to the opening pages of your Bible. And I saw that you have been going through Genesis. Right at the start, at the very outset, God says, I will make man and woman in my own image. They shall know me. They shall walk with me, enjoy me and glorify me forever. Hand in hand with God. As if Adam and Eve, humanity, was a plant whose roots went deep into the soil of God. But then just a couple of paragraphs later, they rebel. They sin and they're cut off from God. The fellowship is ruined. They're separated from God. And there is this gaping hole now. And the tree, the plant that was firmly in the soil of God, it's now been uprooted. And what Adam and Eve find? The nourishment has stopped. The joy has gone. The fulfillment, the satisfaction, it's nowhere to be found. They're cut off from God. And see, here's the problem. Humanity, we feel this emptiness. We feel this void. We get this restlessness. So what do we do? We set out looking and we go searching and we go seeking and we go tasting and we go trying and we look everywhere, leaving no stone left unturned. But we look everywhere but to our Creator. We walk through the marketplaces and we visit every single store to see what they can give us. And yet we bypass the one store that our soul needs the most. The one where the master is. And God, he's there. He's there and he's watching humanity looking and walking and searching and seeking. And he's watching and he gets up and he stands up and he starts crying out, pleading as he looks at us in our misery. I mean, look at his words in verse 2. Look what he says. Hear his voice in these words. Verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy do you see the heart of God in this verse? What he is seeing as he looks out at the creatures that he's made. This is the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told us. He gets the inheritance and what does he want to do? He wants to live his life. He seeks pleasure. He seeks fulfillment. And he sets out 
And what does he see? He sees the city lights. He sees all the billboards. And what do they say? Come here. Come dine here. Come to Pleasure City. Have all of your lusts fulfilled. And what does he do? He denies himself no pleasure, no possession, no experience. And then what does he find? He wakes up in the morning and he finds out that Pleasure City is in famine. And he wakes up and he has nothing. No companions, no joy, no fulfillment. He is broke and he is left. The only thing he has in his pockets are regret and misery. He's in the mud. And he's unfulfilled and God looks out. This is humanity. God looks out and he says, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you labor for what does not satisfy why are you doing this? It's a mad pursuit. This is the story of humanity. And let me ask you, is this still you this morning? Still you? You live during the week and you look out and you think to yourself, if only I can have this. If only I land that job. If only I can have that person. If only I can have this family. If only I get to own my own house or I get that new car or I get this new upgrade. Then I will be happy. Then I can relax. Then I can focus on other things. Then my soul will be satisfied. Understand the world knows this and they advertise to you and I accordingly. What does the world tell us? You could be living here. You could be holidaying there. Why have the smaller TV when you can have the one double the size? Why save your money when you can be spending it? And so what do we do? We buy and we buy and we buy. We work and we work and we sacrifice so much and we spend. And what's the outcome, friends? Tell me, what's the outcome? In the West where we live, we have never had more resources than what we do. We have never had more money than what we have now. We have never had more entertainment at our fingertips than we do now. And what is the outcome? What do we find? We are more depressed than we have ever been. We are more anxious as a society than we have ever been. We are more fearful. Children have more than they have ever had before. And mental illness in children is skyrocketing. We are so empty and people want to feel something. So we're even getting to the point where we're changing our own genders. Just to feel some worth. Just to feel something. This is where we are. And we search and we search and we pursue and God sees it all. And he stands up and he says, Why do you spend your money on what is not bread? And why do you labor so hard for that which does not satisfy? I'm asking why? Why? He describes humanity as thirsty. And now the second image he gives, he says, you who have no money. Changes the metaphor here. Now, what he's saying here, the metaphor is to capture spiritual poverty. 
spiritual bankruptcy. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor physically, whether you're a somebody or nobody, whether you're an employee or an employer, doesn't matter. He's talking about spiritual bankruptcy. When it comes to the economy of God, we have nothing. Look in your accounts. It's all red. It's all liabilities. It's all loss. There's nothing when it comes to the economy of God. See, many today, they presume that they're spiritually rich. And they base it on all sorts of assumptions. Well, I am because when I was little, I was baptized. And I had a spiritual start to life. Or I was raised in a Christian home. Or I had a religious family who were in tune with spiritual things. And other people, they take comfort that I try and live by a high moral standard. I can see that society is going down the gurgler. But as for me and my family, we have a high moral standard. And they think this. And all the while, they think that when the gates of heaven are open, they're probably going to be at the front of the line. And yet all the while, their conscience is kicking and screaming and accusing them. Why? Because we can all behave in public, can't we? But we know who we are. Our lips, they're stained with gossip and slander. Our eyes have viewed what is filthy and perverse. And our hearts are filled with every kind of greed, wickedness, lust and anger. We know. And our consciences accuse us. And Jesus, he knows how in public we falsely comfort and reassure ourselves. How we look in the mirror, but we look with rose-colored glasses on. And Jesus cuts through that. And what does he say? How does he describe Revelation 3.17? He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what Jesus says. See, this is a lamentable diagnosis. Jesus says, you're poor, miserable, blind and naked. And God says, you're thirsty and you have no money. It's the same thing. He's trying to capture the same thing here. When he says, we are without money, he's telling us we have nothing to repay our debts to God. We have nothing. Our sins pile higher and higher and higher. And yet, as guilty, we do not have even a dime to repay God. Understand this. Your sins and my sins are as numerous as the stars. Our guilt is as high as the mountain peaks. And we are separated from God as far as the east is from the west. We are sinners Do you grasp what he's saying here? Our need, our debt is in the spiritual millions before God. And what does humanity do? We're fumbling in our pockets for loose change to offer him. And he says, you have no money. You have nothing. You have nothing to offer me. And the debts stand. They stand. And I ask you, if this is God's verdict of us, What good will it do if you and I look within ourselves to try and remedy this situation? These are the lies that you're being bombarded with. What does psychology tell us? Look within. Look within and you will find goodness there. You can do it. You can overcome. You can come through this. God says, you want to look within? It's all a barren desert. 
It's all wasteland. It's all desolation. There's nothing. There's nothing there. This is the story of the prodigal son. How could he help himself? He's in the mud with the pigs. If we are to be helped, help must come from outside of ourselves. What does a prodigal son do? He says, I know what I'll do. I will go back to my father. I will go back to my father. Help must come from outside of ourselves, God is saying. See, our plight is helpless and our need is great and we need a great saviour. See, if we were only a little bit stuck, then a couple of helping hands would do. If you and I were just a little bit lost, then a simple map would suffice. If you and I are only little sinners, then any old saviour would do. But the last song that we just sang and the song before it, the true and better one, Say something different. What is the Bible's testimony out of the billions of people that have lived on this earth? Not one of them has been able to rescue you and I. No, not one. David was upright, but he was not good enough. Samson was strong, but he wasn't strong enough. Solomon was wise, but he was not wise enough. Moses was a great leader and deliverer, but he couldn't get them into the promised land. Jeremiah, he wept for a heart for the people, but he still could not rescue them. Isaiah was a great preacher, but his preaching fell on deaf ears. No one has been able to rescue us. What did it take? It took God coming down. It took the Son of God coming down and walking on earth amongst these creatures. And he came, and how monumental was his mission? He had to be fully endowed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And he had to live a completely perfect, obedient, righteous life. No, not one sin. And then he had to suffer hell in your place and in my place. And then there was one, one enemy left to be defeated, death the place, the grave that's waiting for all of us. And he went into the grave, but the scriptures say three days later, the stone was rolled away. And he was triumphant and victorious. That's what it took. It took Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is our wonderful, saving God. And he's saying to the thirsty, come, come. And he's saying to the spiritually poor, come, come, come. God is calling out in the marketplace. You say, all right, but what's he selling? What's he selling? Our third point, we see the offer on the table. Look again at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come here, there's no money. Here it is. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. And then in verse 2, he talks about bread. Again, this is all metaphoric language here. See, to the thirsty and to those who are parched, what does he say? He doesn't say, come to my stalls. I have a glass of water for you. I have bottles. No, no, no. What does he say? He says, come to the waters. What I have for you, it's not just enough to quench your thirst. There is so much water here, you can swim. The provisions of God are bountiful. The storehouses of God to meet our needs are as vast as the ocean. He has all that we need and more. Come to the waters, he says. And then he says, come buy milk. 
Now what's this? Milk in the Bible refers to that which nourishes us, that which brings growth. Think about a baby in the first year of its life, how much growing it does in that first year, and it does all of it on the sustenance of milk alone. It's incredible. He says, God's saying, I have what you need to nourish you and sustain you. Come and buy from me. And then he says, come buy wine. And we get a bit more of an insight into God. Not just what you need for sustenance. Wine in the scriptures refers to that which gladdens the heart. It rejoices. It brings delight. It brings joy. Come. What, is it, what does the psalmist say? Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. It says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Not just what you need, but you will find great delight. And then in verse 2, it talks about bread. Bread is called the staff of life for every generation. What we need, it fills, it sustains, it gives life. What's God trying to convey here? He's trying to convey, I have before you, humanity, I have before you a banquet spread out. I have spread out a table before you. And so as you walk through the marketplace, you can smell the rich food. You can smell all of it from the stall that he has set up. You can hear the mighty waters that reside at his stall from where you are. But as you begin to get closer and closer to the stall of God, you're surprised and you're taken back and you're shocked because when you get there, you realize that the banquet is a person. The banquet is a man. It is a man. See, the bread and the waters and the wine, it's a man. God says to humanity, whoever's thirsty, come. Jesus arrives and says, whoever's thirsty, come to me. To me. It's a person. You remember what we read in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, in a loud voice, like Isaiah 55, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Do you see what's going on here? God says to the masses, whoever's thirsty, come. Jesus arrives, he says, whoever's thirsty, come to me. It's him. It's a person. He can say that because God is here. God has come down. And Jesus tells the unsatisfied. Remember John 4.14, Whoever drinks from the water I give will never thirst again. Now Jesus addresses those who spend their money and their time searching for what's not bread. Remember God in Isaiah 55 says, Why do you spend your money on what's not bread? What does Jesus say? John chapter 6, verse 33 and 35. Jesus said to them, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty again. Do you see what happens? God says to the impoverished, come. Jesus says to the same ones, come to me. The banquet is Jesus Christ. It is a person. God has come down. All that you and I need is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. 
all that we need, what is given to us in Jesus. We have in Christ the mercy of God. We have shelter. We have an ark to enter. We have the incredibly sweet grace of God in Jesus Christ. What do we receive in Jesus? We receive the love of God. What does the scripture say? God is love. Friends, 2,000 years ago, love came down from heaven and it was wrapped up in a person. It is Jesus Christ. The love of God come to us. What do we have in Jesus? We have the forgiveness of sins. Everything you have ever committed, everything that I am ashamed of, it is forgiven in Christ. You know your conscience that we talked about before that's kicking and screaming and accusing when you come to Jesus Christ, you get your conscience cleansed and purified. We have reconciliation and peace with God and we get eternal life, everlasting life. And best of all, what do we get in Jesus? We get him. We get him. So from this morning into all eternity, you can say, I am my beloved's and he is mine. He is mine. We get Christ. He's calling this morning. Do you hear him? Come to me. You're thirsty? Come. You're hungry? Come. Are you empty with your vain pursuits? Come. Come to me. See, the things that he offers at his store, they are eternal possessions. You go looking around to all the other stores in the market, they cannot give you what you have here. He's offering eternal goods. What's interesting about the markets, when you go, markets are set up where people are, right? Where the masses are. But people don't just set up markets where there are a mass of people. You will not find markets set up in a poverty-stricken region. Where do you set up markets? Where there are money-carrying customers. People who can pay. People who can buy. There's no point going up to someone who has no wallet. Come and buy, come and buy, come and buy. You don't plead with a person. Come and buy all of these wonderful things. You don't do that at the markets. Isn't it interesting that these are the very people that God comes to? You who have no money. Come and buy. You who have no money. Jesus came for this specific kind of people. But man, he has it in his heart that I will buy my ticket to heaven. I will earn it by my morality and my good living. I will come through and I will be able to get there. And Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. To the poor, the good news is preached. See, God doesn't search us for what we possess. He comes to give us what we do not possess. That's what he does. Come buy without money, he says. It's all free. This is the giving God. Jesus came not to take, but to give. Jesus came not to receive, but to be received. This is what he has done. And so he promises, to those of you who have nothing, I will give you everything. To those who are thirsty, you'll be quenched. To those who are empty, you'll be filled. To those who are dirty, you'll be washed. He comes all without price. But see again, it's the freeness of the gospel that makes men and women devalue it, isn't it? It's the freeness of it that makes people think very little of it. 
Hold on a second. If anyone can have this, if anyone can have it, then it mustn't be very special. Or if it's free, well, then I can have Jesus today. I can have Jesus tomorrow. Or better yet, I'll wait to my deathbed and then I'll have Jesus. And because it's free, men devalue it. God says the freeness of it is the beauty. And he says, buy without price. Now, when I read this phrase, come and buy without price, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? It's a strange way to talk about it. How do you pay for something that doesn't have a cost? It's kind of a nonsensical statement. Buy what has no price. See, what we need to understand here is the purchase is free, but there has a price that, there's a price that has been paid. The purchase is free, but there was a price to be paid. We are receiving something that has already been paid for. Do you understand that? The scriptures talk about a price. What is the price the scriptures talk about? The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall surely die. There is a price for the life that we have lived and we must pay. So then how can God say now in Isaiah 55, you can buy without any, without any price, without a cost? Because he's already told us in the scriptures, there is a cost and price for our sin. What we understand is the wonderful offer in Isaiah 55 comes after the payment that was made in Isaiah 53. That's what's happening here. The wonderful bargain in Isaiah 55 comes after the price in Isaiah 53. What's Isaiah 53? It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ coming to make payment for sinners. Can I read some of the verses of the payment that has been made on your part? Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was cut off from the land of the living, and he was assigned a grave with the wicked. Do you understand? God says to you and I, come and buy without cost, because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. He has paid the price. Just as I wrap up, as I look at this, buy without cost. When I think to the marketplace and in our world, you know, when I look at those sellers, I think, man, working in the markets and being a seller, it must be such a frustrating, frustrating job. Why, that? Why is that? Well, they're there early. They set up before everyone gets here. They're the last ones there. Why is that? Because they're after people to buy. There's money to be made. But what happens at the markets? People come in and they walk past the store. Some of them walk in. Some of them even start looking at the items. Some people even start holding some of the items. Some will even go a step further, discuss the item, and even try and haggle a price. And yet what happens most of the time? The same customers put the product down and walk out without taking anything. And, and, and the seller must be there thinking, will they even come into my store and, and hold my items, even talk and haggle with me, and yet leave without buying anything? Dear friends, does not God think the same thing every Sunday around this world? Men and women coming to church, young and old coming in the doors, singing the songs, Bowing in the prayers, 
partaking of the elements, they hear the sermon and they think, well, that was a nice sermon. That had some good points in there. Could have been a bit shorter, maybe a few more funny stories. Good job, pastor. That was great. And they walk out without Jesus Christ. And God says, will they even come into the sanctuary? Will they even offer up prayers and with their lips sing my praises? Holding the diamonds of God and yet walking out without repentance and without receiving my son. Friends, it happens every week. And I have to ask you, I have to ask you, is that you this morning? That you come and you come and you come and and you do all of these parts of the service and yet you leave without Jesus Christ. You don't come saying, I have to have him. I need the Savior. I need him. Is that you? See, God says it's without cost, but you must buy. You must buy. God has come down to do business with our souls, to give men Jesus Christ. Have you done business with God for your soul? Do you believe it, friends? Do you believe in Christ? Do you say, yes, I hear the word of God this morning, and it says, it says I'm a sinner, and it says that Jesus is a savior. If that's you, then I say to you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Put your trust in him. He turns no one away. He came down for you. He came down for me. Have you believed in him? Have you received him? If you have, I hope that your joy is full this morning, that you have Jesus Christ because you have everything and he will bring you home safely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this, this morning for the time that we have together, Lord. We we thank you for your word. It is a double-edged sword. Lord, it cuts and it opens, but it also binds and brings healing, salvation and life. And then it brings joy and peace, satisfaction and fulfillment. Lord, we're so amazed that you have come down to earth, that you, come, you came seeking us to seek and save sinners, of the worst kind. We say with Apostle Paul, we are the chief of sinners, but for the grace of God, we would be ruined. We thank you for your great salvation. We thank you for your love, Lord. It's hard for us to comprehend how high, how deep, how wide, how long is the love of God in Christ. But I pray that you would impress it upon hearts, that none would leave this place turning their back toward the Saviour. I pray that all may come and drink from the wells of salvation, even this day we pray. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.